I am so nervous to record this episode. My heart is literally in my throat. It, you know, in in the history of this podcast, in all of its iterations, even when it was health as hell, I've talked about all sorts of vulnerable and hurtful and risky and controversial stuff that people could easily use to blackmail me. I've I've talked about my friends dying. I've talked about growing up with rich parents, the types of sex I like to have, heartbreak, dropping acid, doing coke, struggling with alcohol. I mean, you you name it, we've talked about it. And I've let a dating coach interview me. I've asked strippers for business advice. I've flirted with a porn star. And with all of it, I've never thought twice. I, I don't know that I actually ever really thought at all. It was more just like following my instinct. And more often than not, my instincts turned out to be correct. But what we're going to talk about today is something that after it happened, I swore that I would never talk about again. It was hands down the most fucking humiliating, ego deflating, incriminating thing that I have ever been a part of. I'm I'm a really sensitive person. I'm a very emotional person. Things affect me deeply and I know it may not seem that way, but it's true. It's a blessing in certain ways, like being able to relate to and empathize with all of you and also have you trust me enough to tell me the secrets that you do. In a subconscious way, my obsession with connecting with all of you, with you know making you feel seen and then in turn feeling seen myself – that must translate. But, you know, in other ways, my sensitivity is debilitating. My entire public persona was built as a result of feeling hurt, uh, feeling unsafe, feeling scared. It's not to say that I'm not actually confident or strong or proud or resilient. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, I totally am. But it's only half of who I am. It may even be 40% of who I am. I became those things specifically to cope with not feeling like that. Because the world did not make me feel like that. Something I can say confidently is that I'm not somebody who experiences a lot of shame. Generally, I believe that if you want to live an exceptional life, you have to make strong choices and you have to prepare for them to not all work out the way that you planned. You've got to prepare to look back at them and actually not necessarily recognize the person that you were when you made those choices. You've got to prepare to wince and groan and hide your head under a bed sheet. But, you know, regret is a waste of time. It's physically impossible to change the past. And also everything that you subject yourself to or that other people subject you to becomes a learning experience. It, it turns you into a full person. So I don't have regrets, including about this. But it's telling that I'm, I'm a pretty nostalgic person and 
I'm actually so ashamed of this period in my life that I've literally not been able to revisit it until now. So five years later, I am finally ready to talk about my experience briefly working or I guess in the circumstances trying to work for Barstool Sports and Dave Portnoy. Before anybody else can get ahead of me and say this, let me say it myself. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen 100%. I live my life by this motto and I totally agree with anybody who says it online or in person or in regards to this particular situation or in any situation. Like in the internet era, everything is an echo chamber, yeah? You can get canceled out of context just from looking at somebody the wrong way. We know this. So please, anybody listening, no matter what gender or identity, do not make the choice to go against the grain unless you're ready to be told that you're an idiot or or even a bad person for doing so. And when that inevitably happens, don't cry about it saying that you didn't see it coming. You did. We've seen this narrative play out so many times with public figures or or just even with people who have a slightly larger Instagram following or TikTok following than the rest of us, you know, everyday commoners. The system is fucked up insanely, period. It fucks people up, period. But we also also participate in this system for as much as we complain about. Since all of us have social media platforms and all of us are obsessed with pop culture and all of us seem to have an opinion about absolutely everything. So I really, really hate when people throw pity parties for themselves, especially, sorry, especially women. To a certain extent, controversial statement ahead, if you want to be seen as an equal in what historically has always been a man's world, unfortunately, you often have to try and think like a man, play like a man, hold yourself like a man, which really fucking sucks. But it just is. So allow me To be the first to say that, yeah, duh, I knew that getting involved with barstool sports would be risky. I knew it wasn't a place that was built in its content or its audience for somebody like me, at least at the time. I I, I absolutely knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. And that was a risk I was willing to take in the beginning. So... Let it be known that this is not a pity party. This is simply an explanation of why. All right. Here we go. Back sweat, butt sweat, existential dread, and all. So it's 2016. And I had just graduated college the year before. And like many recent postgraduates, had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I had no idea who I was either. 
I had just spent four years at a school in Southern California, having come from Greenwich Village, where I was nothing like anybody around me. And I talk about this a lot in my solo episode about my sorority experience, but I was like a total circus monkey. It it felt like the way that I looked, the way that I dressed, what I said, my voice, my accent, my sarcasm, everything was just like it felt like you should have to buy a ticket to be in my company. I I was living in so-called Trump's America before Trump's America was really a thing. And that's fine. That's not a bad thing. It was obviously just very different from growing up, you know, on the NYU campus in Greenwich Village. Um, and to make matters worse, my professors in both the theater program and the broadcast journalism program basically repeatedly told me that I wasn't serious enough to succeed, whatever the fuck that means, or that, you know, I wasn't passionate enough about my craft, that I wasn't willing to put in the work, essentially that, like, I didn't have what it took to to make it in these competitive fields. When you have enough people who are authority figures and supposedly know better than you telling you that, eventually you start to internalize it. So I was depressed to the point of being off and on suicidal the entire time that I was there. And to make matters worse, I was in the midst of two heartbreaks when I decided I wanted to go work at Barstool. There was my first love, who at that point was two years into a relationship with the girl that he cheated on me with, and my recently ex-boyfriend, who was 13 years older than me, and a depressed, emotionally abusive drug addict. (laughs) So to say that I was a mess was an absolute understatement. Like, I I was just, I was floating. I, I was not grounded in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, the concept of like influencers and internet celebrities was starting to blow up. And knowing that I wanted a career in entertainment, this was a a bandwagon that I wanted to jump on. I wanted to capitalize on it. And there were three things in the sea of shit I didn't know that I did know for sure. One was that I was quote unquote funny for a girl. The second was that I got along well with men. And the third was that I had tits, which I liked to flaunt at the time. So Barstool Sports seemed like the perfect place for me. LOL. For anybody listening, yes, I was in therapy (laughs) at the time. Um, But, you know, more importantly than that, there, there there were no women there. There was a void in that market that from a business perspective, I saw that desperately needed to be filled. So I sent them a cover letter explaining why I was the perfect person to bring some much needed female energy into that office. And I guess a lot of other people did too because they emailed me back three months later or so saying they were hosting something called Barstool Idol. It was described loosely as an interview with Dave Portnoy and the CEO of the company. And what they said in the email, I I actually wrote it down. It said, prepare a pitch on why we should give you a shot. Literally anything you think you can contribute to the company, we will hire anyone with talent, period. 
okay, cool. So I collected my thoughts as to what I could offer as a woman who at that point, my God, all of the lives that I've lived, I was a food blogger. So I kind of already had some experience in the, the, the digital world and like developing a voice for yourself on social media. But but before we get into what happened when I actually stepped into the office, I, I want you to take a minute and think about the circumstances before I did that. In 2017, the only women working at the company were the CEO, who basically had like elusive God status, Erica Nardini, who, yes, you know, was a woman, but she was brand new and she she was not a, a, like really a member of the staff or somebody who engaged with the infamous Barstool following. There was Rhea at the time, a completely silent intern who was told by both employees and the, the internet that her entire value was in the way that she looked. And then there was Asa Akira, a famous porn star who occasionally came into the office to do sexy content. And that was it. An elusive CEO, a silent hot intern, and a porn star. There was no call her daddy. There was no chicks in the office. No Fran, no Ellie Schnitt, nothing. So there were literally no examples I could look to A, for the type of content that like translated well in that universe, but B, like how I might be treated as a woman in there. No one had gone down that path before in a in a substantial personality-driven way. And again, like I said, I thought I was ready for it because I had spent, you know, my high school and my college years basically being like that girl who was the one girl in a group of guys. I lived with guys in college. Like, I, you know, I always had very strong, very real male friendships. At the same time, my female friends meant everything to me. I was not one of those girls who was like, oh, no, you know, like, I, I don't really, like, get along with women. I don't trust them. No, like, women are the most important thing to me. But I just, I kind of had a special connection with these dudes where, like, we wouldn't sleep together. We would just coexist. And I thought that that must be valuable for something. But then there was what happened when I actually did step into the office Hi, I'm Josie Toda. I'm Alicia Pascual Peña. And I'm Yasmin Hamidi. We're three best friends, like literally sisters out of the same womb. We're also actresses and disruptors. And the host of new Crooked Media podcast, Dare We Say. Every week, we'll dive into the issues affecting our generation, from income inequality, LGBTQ rights, and the nightmare that is ours landing page. This is about to get, dare we say, heated. New episodes drop every Thursday starting August 11th. Subscribe to Dare We Say wherever you listen to your podcasts. From the moment that that elevator door opened, which I will never forget, all of us were being not just filmed, but live streamed. Live streamed on Facebook and Periscope to like 30,000 people. 30,000 invisible people who were watching every single move and every single expression play out in real time and were also commenting on everything as we went. This was not something that we were told would be the case when we got that email. 
There was zero warning before, boom, there was a camera in the face. And for as much as I did pitch myself to get to that, what I would see shortly was an audition, not an interview, I, I pitched myself as being able to to fill that void that was left by a lack of women. But I kind of assumed that there had to be a couple other women who had the same ideas that I did. No. I was the only chick in a group of about 12 people. And when I walked into the green room and saw who I was kind of going up against right away, I was like, I'm I'm already, I'm already in over my head. So one of the guys there had a bottle of some sort of cheap brown liquor. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning. He's like, hey, what's up? Like, do you want some? And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I want some. I need some. Um, so I ended up getting pretty drunk. And the so-called interview was actually one by one, all of us going up to a mic stand that was set up in front of a table that had Dave Portnoy, Erica Nardini, and, and one of the bloggers there, like KFC, I think his actual name was Kevin. So they were all at a table like American Idol style. But then on either side of the office, of the room, kind of in like a like a theater roundabout way, every single employee who worked at Barstool was in a chair watching, and there were the cameras broadcasting it to 30,000 people. And, you know, to me, I, I wanted this job at Barstool at the time. I thought that it would be opportune. I thought that there was a mutually beneficial opportunity here. But the people that I was going up against were people who like lived, breathed, and died barstool. This, this, being invited to come to New York from wherever they were from and, and have the chance to just meet Dave Portnoy in person, like you would have thought that they were meeting the fucking Pope. And... Uh, that was another big difference that I kind of sussed out from the beginning. And these people had prepared stand-up comedy routines. They had essentially prepared like PowerPoint lectures minus the PowerPoint. I mean, it was like a very serious operation within a very unserious environment. And so when it came time for me to get up there, I was hammered off the, you know, said cheap brown liquor. And I just kind of went for it and and said, you know, here's why I think you need me. And as I'm sitting here speaking to you right now in, in real time, I'm debating whether or not to actually go back and watch my audition video. I can honestly say I have not re-watched that video since the day that happened because it is so triggering to me and the feelings of feeling so out of my element, feeling so unprepared, feeling so vulnerable, feeling so female, that like hasn't gone away. I've digested it, but I haven't pooped it out. Like, sorry for the gross image, but you get what I'm getting at. Allie Weiss, she is a girl. interrupting my intro. Fun Facts was famous in middle school for sending photos of her boobs in exchange for homework assignments. 
What's up, guys? Um, I want to start by saying I do not have a stand-up routine prepared. I think if you want to do a stand-up routine, go to a fucking open mic night at the comedy club. Um, I am here to tell you what you guys are missing at Barstool, which is a chick on your team who's not trying to be a basketball wife or an AVN winner. Um, I think there is a major need for... (laughs) My specialties are food and sex, which I think go hand in hand. Uh, I have a very thick skin and a moderately thick ass, and I think that I would be a really good fit for your team. I think uh, it's tough to come in here as the only girl. I think you were confident and, and comfortable. I don't think you necessarily said anything that proves to me that you could handle the role of being the one and only girl here, but you just being here is kind of the first step. I made it into the building. Right, sitting in a yeah. green room with 10 dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're a you know? Anyway, whatever I said worked. I remember Erica being like, yeah, I like this chick. Let's give her a chance. Everybody passed off on me and off I went. I was invited back for the next day. But that is when the comments started of these men watching, not knowing what to do with somebody like me. And look, like, it would be very easy for me to sit here and call the barstool audience a bunch of incels or say that I have an extremely clear image of what their guts must look like hanging over their belts and hitting their thighs as they sit at a desk in their mom's basement or at their dead-end insurance jobs. I could say all that, and I just did, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm not going to insult them the way that they insulted me. I'm going to be honest and vulnerable and said that, for, you know, for as much as I don't actually care about these people who said what they said from that very first moment that I walked into the office, holy shit, did their words affect me. From the get, it was like, of these people giving me all of these backhanded compliments and telling me that they wanted to marry me and for me to like be their wife and 60% of them telling me that like I should die, that I should kill myself and get out of the office before Barstool Idol Week even began. So the next day I come back and Barstool Idol Week begins and Our very first assignment is getting broken up into two groups, putting on red jumpsuits. Actually, if I remember correctly, one group was red and the other group had another color. It was literally Squid Game, like insane. Putting on these red jumpsuits and all of us had to run from the barstool offices to Junior's Cheesecake in Times Square. We had to buy a cheesecake and then we had to run back to the office with the cheesecake intact. And the first team out of two to get back to the office with the cheesecake was the winner. So, oh yeah, and of course there were cameras that were that were live streaming the entire thing. So out of the gate, you're like, all right, I thought that you guys were going to hire anybody with talent. I thought that this was going to be a competition looking for who is the most qualified person to make content for you. But right away, 
we are being exploited. And then the next challenge that we still had to do in the jumpsuits was play dodgeball in the same teams that we had been broken up into. And there's so much more to come after this, but this this is where things really got kind of sticky for me. So dodgeball is obviously a very violent, aggressive game, especially when it's being played by grown men, um, especially some grown men who have been drinking. And as the only woman, I knew that it wasn't going to end well for me because I knew that nobody was going to want to throw the ball at me. For as much as the stoolie audience loves to shit all over women, when actually faced with one, they're not gonna hurt her. And so as expected, I was the last person standing in what was a very violent and aggressive dodgeball game. And it was me standing across from Smitty, um, a blogger and a personality there whose real name is Adam. And again, I haven't rewatched this video, but this one I actually do think that I want to rewatch because it kind of caused some controversy. So to, to set the scene, I am alone on a dodgeball court being watched by dozens of men in real time and tens of thousands of men through the internet. And I am expected to not win, but like hold my own. So what was I supposed to do in that situation? I essentially had two choices. I could either walk away and say, I don't want to participate in this. I'm scared. This is aggressive. This is not for me. And, you know, have everybody say, boo, like you're a pussy. Women don't belong at this company. Women don't belong on like a sports court and have to deal with that. Or I could hold my ground, try to participate actively in a, a, a man's world and play knowing damn well that I was going to get assassinated by that ball because this man was twice my size and then still have to deal with the same feedback of, you know, boo, girls don't belong here, girls don't belong on a sports court, and so on and so forth. I also want to add, I was terrified I had stage fright because of the fact that we were being filmed. I was terrified of all the judgmental eyes around me. I was terrified of what I was representing to women everywhere, being a woman in this situation. I I basically rose out of my body. I, I, I essentially disassociated and went into full fight or flight mode. And... It kind of occurred to me that, you know, if I was dealing with all of this kind of bullying about, you know, at this point, the way that I looked and the way that I held myself and my sense of humor and so on and so forth, it was like, all right, I can either just like take all of this and go and cry in a corner while being filmed, or I could try and fight 
back. So when you're dealing with a bunch of aggressively heterosexual, mm, corn-fed, shall we say, salt-of-the-earth men, the most insulting thing that you can possibly say to them is to suggest that they're gay. And that is exactly what I did. And here is how it all went down. There's so much to unpack here. The so Barstool was blogging as we went through these challenges, and you know all of the people on their writing staff would just kind of write blurbs about what was happening. And Adam, I'm not gonna call him Smitty. I'm gonna call him Adam. Wrote an article with the title. I will never apologize for making a woman cry on the dodgeball court. Now, I would like to formally state that I did not cry. I wanted to. I, I, it looks like I am because I'm so just kind of glazed over with, with fear. Um, but I didn't cry, which honestly, I, I'm proud of because that would have made it five times harder for me. Um, what I was gross during this competition. You could see that I was just trying so hard to be taken seriously by these men as a defense mechanism to like make myself feel like I wasn't going to get hurt physically or emotionally even more than I already had been. But more than that was just like the way that I'm sitting on Adam's lap in this recap video after it all went down and, you know, trying to kind of make these like salacious comments and, and lean into like the sexual chemistry that he and I had to kind of distract away from how distraught I was. I, I don't recognize myself when I watch this. I don't, I don't, I don't recognize my submissiveness. I don't, I don't recognize my hair because it was still black at the time. And I wore a lot of eyeliner, which thank God I don't do anymore. But, you know, at the time saying that thing about him being gay seemed like the only thing that I could possibly do to save myself from even more humiliation than I was already dealing with. Now, especially in 2021, in retrospect, I realized what a poor decision that was. I was essentially punching down to, to make myself look better. And this video resurfaced last year, actually on my birthday on May 10th in 2020. That's a, one of many issues that I have with Barstool that we'll get to beyond just my experience in Barstool Idol is that they kind of 
capitalize on the humiliation of people who are there that, you know, they, they work with their employees. They capitalize on the humiliation of their employees because it's good content. It's good material. They know it's what the stoolies want to see. And so they brought this video back up on Twitter and obviously a lot of LGBTQ people, you know, started commenting saying, it's so sad that like this girl felt the need to to say this. I would like to sit down and have a word with this girl. Like how dare this girl say something? Why would like a woman want to to you know put us in this position? And all of their comments are totally valid. I fucked up. I also want to note that you know I grew up in Greenwich Village, and I grew up doing theater. And so many of my friends both were and are gay. My comment was not homophobic. I am not homophobic. I am the opposite of homophobic. I am essentially a gay man living inside a straight woman's body. Like, I have never felt more supported or understood or influenced than I have been by the gay community for my entire life. And so it really... Even more that it pains me to watch this video and, and, and watch me embarrass myself to try to get taken seriously by a bunch of people whose acknowledgement and kind of cosign I really shouldn't even been have trying to get. It, it hurts me that I've hurt a community that, as opposed to this community, has actually been so supportive of me. And so I want to make it clear that the only reason I said those things was because I was scared, was because I was terrified. And if you watch this embarrassing video, you can see in my eyes how terrified I was to the point where I was accused of crying. And so I'm sorry. This is obviously not a tactic I have used since or have ever felt the need to use since. But it, it is something that's haunted me more than this entire experience and the ways in which I embarrassed myself and was made to feel embarrassed was how I used a, a, gr a group that I actually feel accepted by as a, a pawn to kind of make me more accepted in a group that I didn't belong in, if that makes sense. So in this article that he writes, I will never apologize for making a woman cry on the dodgeball court. It's like the most gaslighting, backhanded thing I've ever read. So after the headline, he goes, okay, maybe she didn't tear up, but the fact remains Equal rights, equal fights, especially when it's Barstool Idol Week and you're trying to prove you can wrestle with the big dogs. There's no gender on the dodgeball court. If you're willing to step onto the field of battle, you have to be fine with getting shot. And I'll give her credit, Amy proved her worth, and I'll remember, I'll forever remember her name because of it. So obviously my name is not Amy, it's Allie, and he did know that um, behind, I was going to say closed doors, but more like on the other end of the computer screen. And um, I do want to make a point of saying that uh, I'm pretty sure the only reason Adam said I had proved my worth was because we had hooked up for two months after that. 
it tells you a lot about where I was at in my life at the time that um, I decided to get involved with somebody who had public publicly humiliated me on a very large platform. Um, but I will say that Adam's actual self, not his internet persona as Smitty, but Adam as Adam is actually a really, really nice guy. And I had a really nice time with him. If he wasn't nice, I wouldn't have gone out with him. Um, and you know, he has a job. He has a job that he needs to do. And we all have jobs and we all have things that we need to do to make money. And unfortunately, Adam's job was to behave as the type of person that kind of goes against what all of his values like actually are. And in the conversations that we had, I, I really got some insight into how badly that fucked him up, how, how, how much it made him sad that what he really wanted was like a happy relationship and like a white picket fence and stability. And instead he was kind of made to be like the poster child of, of toxic masculinity. And like me saying that I built this public persona as a result of being hurt and not wanting people to be able to take advantage of me or see my vulnerabilities, I think Adam did the same thing. I think Adam, to a certain extent, is, uh, as the barstool people like to say, a hardo, you know, an athletic kind of man's man. But on the flip side, he's also like very sensitive and very aware of his failures. And I think having had so many failures he was finally given this platform and was turned into like a C-list internet celebrity, which still has lots of value. I'm not even making fun of that. And he was like, well, as much as this is hurting my spirit, I don't want to walk away from it because it's finally like a W after a series of L's. Um, so that was day one of Barstool Idol. And let me take you through some of the comments about me from that first day. Here's, here's a compliment. Oh yes. Love Allie. I would thoroughly enjoy watching her softly pinch her nipples, then run her hand down to her snatch and rub herself until she squirts her boo juice everywhere. Lovely. Here's another one. This chick is the typical acts like a total bitch because she thinks it makes her one of the guys type chicks. I would. So this commenter is not wrong. That's exactly what I was doing, acting like a total bitch to defend myself. But the fact that he like insults me for doing that and then it's like, yeah, I'd fuck her anyway. Here's another one. She is good looking, but she seems like a huge bitch. Trying to act like one of the guys is a massive turnoff. Chick thinks she's hot shit. Okay, well, he thinks I'm hot, but he also thinks I'm terrible. Next, she's definitely my type of woman. Hot, but not 10 hot. Solid eight or nine, in parentheses, inconclusive, overly confident, outspoken, competitive, and brunette. I'm a fan. Next, girl is working the hoe angle. Don't hate it, though. Next, pretty decent looking chick, but serious question. Do NYC girls not pluck slash wax their eyebrows? I can't stop staring at those Anthony Davis brows. Uh, right. And then some of the negative ones. This unfunny, barely hot chick is going to blow her way to the top of Barstool. Bravo. Next. Seems like she would bang anyone and everyone at Barstool for a stupid job. Next. She looks like a girl who would be on Girls Do Porn. Someone has to have nudes to post. Next. 
deaf fucks black dudes. So for whatever reason, I came back the next day. The first challenge of the day was meeting Dave Portnoy at his apartment and walking to work with him. We like lined up in a single file line. We had to bring him breakfast. And basically, I, I forget what the fuck we did. We just, we just like shot the shit with him to see if we could create so-called electric content. I bombed. I, I, it, it was just, this was not, I thought we were signing up to make content, not to see who can exploit themselves the best. Then we finally get to the office and we're told that our first activity of the day is, I can't make this up, putting one hand onto the oiled up intern who was obese and covered in baby oil sitting in the middle of the room. And our job was to all put one hand on him. And the competition was who can leave their hand on this exploited, fat, oiled up intern for the longest. This competition went on for hours. I did not win. Uh, another competition we had was sitting and watching a sports game and commenting on it. Obviously, as somebody who likes to go to sports games uh, on dates and to get drunk and to watch men in their most primal state, not to actually keep up with facts and analytics, I did not have much to add to this conversation. But I also very soon realized that it wasn't really about who can add the most to the conversation. It was who can keep the people on live stream entertained most efficiently. And so this dude, Francis who was a stand-up comedian who ultimately won the competition and then later got fired because he lied about having cancer, shows what Good Taste Barstool has in hiring employees, he decided that he was going to spice things up by pouring a vodka shot in his eye. So while we're all sitting there watching sports, trying to come across as serious sports journalists and bloggers, uh, Francis holds his eye open with one hand and pours a vodka shot down it. Yeah. And um, the last thing that I participated in, the last uh, competition, this was actually the closest thing that we got to being able to show off our writing skill. So much of Barstool, even though now they have a bajillion podcasts and videos, at the time they were very, very blog-centric. It was a bunch of writers. And this was finally a writing assignment. But the writing assignment was to write a porn scene with Asa Akira. Once again, feeling embarrassed and exploited and uh, not like they wanted all of us for the right reasons. Uh, I was just like, all right, again, fight or flight mode. I have an advantage here. Finally, for the first time in this string of embarrassments, I have an advantage. And that advantage is I can write a lesbian porn scene that I know is going to tickle the fancy of all of the straight men who are watching this. Um, and that's exactly what I did. And I wrote a really good scene. Let me see if I can actually Google this and find a little audio clip. You'll schedule all of my meetings. Yes. Go down on me whenever I want. Anything for you. What's going on here? <laughs> so I was really stoked 
because finally it's like I had this one thing to redeem my past 48 hours of being criminally unfunny because I was trying so hard to, as one commenter said, be a bitch and defend myself. Um, and I, I thought that this would carry me on to day three and it ultimately didn't. I got fired apprentice style in a shock firing that actually gave me my first taste of uh, 15 minutes of internet fame because it turned into a GIF that went viral. Um, and I can find that and link it in the description of this episode. But I ended up getting fired and Dave's reasoning for firing me was because I, there's the burp that comes every episode, was because I was late for everything, which I totally was. It's the elimination part of the show, the saddest part of the show. Um, I apologize for being late this morning. That was my bad, but I did bring you a pizza bagel. Pizza. We've heard it wasn't just today. Yeah. We've heard you've been late to every single thing. Yeah. Being late okay. is like preposterous to me when you're try, trying to get a job and the first three times you're the latest person, it's like, you're fired. I was late for every single call time. Why? Because I was like, this is not a serious competition. This is not a serious series of tasks to show if we'd be a good employee. This is like exploiting desperate people for views and internet ratings. And um, that was the end of that. And I ended up having an opportunity to kind of get back in there and redeem myself and and looking back on it now and also I was told by Adam during that weird period that we were hooking up um for the record by the way we never had sex a lot of internet commenters like to say oh like they fucked at the end so Ali ended up winning blah 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 no we never had sex it never got that far we just actually spent some nice time together and there may have been a halfway point um but he was like you know if you really do want to work here this is a perfect opportunity for you to like write some response blogs or really get on twitter and troll people and fight back but i had gotten a taste of like the aggression and the the combative nature of like succeeding in that world and I I didn't want to have to be a fucking troll and a bully to get people to like me and even for the people who did have jobs there even for people like Adam who were these like C-list celebrities on the internet who had these massive devoted followings their own fans would troll the shit out of them constantly you're a bad writer, you're bad at sports, you're ugly, your girlfriend's embarrassing, your wife is embarrassing, you're embarrassing. And then would, you know, compliment them when they did something that, you know, the, the trolls thought was, was good or valuable. And I was just like, I don't want to live like that. And so I ultimately chose not to pursue it. And that turned out to be a blessing because as the years went on, more and more information about Dave Portnoy um, started coming out. And, you know, I also think that the culture changed. Me Too happened and more people were willing to stand up and take a stand um, against powerful, abusive workplace bosses. So... After I got fired, let's let's go through some of these comments that were left for me. No joke, fuck this chick. She was so stuck up. Don't hate the player. Hate that you're a woman. I couldn't hate that girl anymore if I tried. 
There's so much to unpack in the clip of her that it's unfathomable. That girl sucked. Ew, what a see you next Tuesday. Deserved worse than she got. I wish you got her in the face with that dodgeball. By the look on her face, I'm going to guess she hasn't been held accountable before. Fuck that chick. Her shocked expression just screams entitlement. Get the fuck out. No mercy. She wanted equality and she got it. Good shit. What's he supposed to do? Hand you the victory? I guess that's what every female expects. Play to win, bitch. I'm sorry. I'm like getting choked up reading these. What did she expect? She was playing dodgeball, whining when she gets hit. Like, again, throughout this entire competition, it didn't feel like I had a choice. I could have walked away in retrospect. I could have said, this is toxic. This is not what I stand for. This is not for me. But it would have gotten me publicly shamed because I already shown my face in that community. And more than that, guys, if you kind of had an opportunity dangled in front of you to potentially level up into a career with a lot of exposure where In theory, you would be given a lot of creative freedom to make the type of content that you want to see that hasn't been made and make a decent salary doing it and work for a company that's internationally known. Would you just walk away from that after finally having the opportunity to make an impression? It's much easier said than actually done, especially when you're 23. That's really young to be given this kind of platform. So walking away was one choice. And then the other choice was to stay and try to battle it out and also try to figure out like what these men wanted. And when it comes to takeaways, what I learned for the ex- from the experience rather, you know, it, it did help me build a thick skin. It, it, it was definitely my first major taste of internet bullying and anything that I've ever faced after that has kind of just fallen off me because there's never been anything to this scale. Um, but the amount of time that I spent in that very short period of time that I was actually in that office trying to figure out what people wanted from me, trying to figure out who I needed to be to to appeal to an audience, to appeal to a male audience, to appeal to men. That that was very confusing and that fucked me up for a lot of years afterwards. I mean, the entire experience was that movie Nerve with Emma Roberts and Dave Franco where strangers online are watching them and are telling them what to do. And if they want to get out alive, they have no choice but to listen and the stakes get higher and higher and higher. Or as I said earlier with the jumpsuits, it was like Squid Game. Except if you fucked up, you didn't get physically killed. You just got your character completely assassinated by tens of thousands of people on the internet. 
And I think I came out of that experience feeling like I I really needed to kind of tone myself down, to mute myself and censor myself. And in some ways, my instinct was correct. I look back on these videos and I am so embarrassed by how hard I was trying, how hard I was trying to like be one of the guys, how hard I was trying to give people what I thought they wanted, and how hard I was trying to just protect myself when I should have been more open about how out of my element I felt there. Um, you know, but it's also like, I know I said before that I can't stand when women throw themselves pity parties. And again, this, this isn't that. But <laughs> women are treated differently. You know, it's like everyone was saying, oh, she wanted equality. She got equality. She got hit by the dodgeball. But from the second a woman steps onto that dodgeball court, she's not given an equal opportunity. It's like people either don't want to hit her at all or they want to knock her down and dead. There's always going to be more focus on your appearance. And that's another thing is that, you know, at least 40% of this vicious population was telling me that I was good looking or that I was good looking enough. I was hot enough. And I was like, cool, there's one thing that they like about me. Let me hide behind that. And that's actually something that I think a lot of women struggle with. You, you know, you in the world, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what ladder you're trying to climb, there's always so much emphasis on your appearance that you're like, all right, even though I know in my heart that my appearance isn't my best asset, according to the rest of the world, it is. So I'm going to lean into that and I'm going to make that the primary focus with the hopes that it'll, it will allow me to show more of who I actually am. But then you kind of get stuck in that hole. Once you start leaning into the hot girl thing or you take it one step further and you start leaning into like the sexy girl thing, the sex talk girl thing, it's really, really hard to get out of that. Women do get put into boxes. So my biggest thing is not, oh my God, Barstool Sports and Dave Portnoy like fucked up my life because I was a woman. I was well aware that I had a vagina when I decided to enter this competition I was also aware that I could leave at any time. It didn't seem like a, a viable option, but it was an option. The thing that really has stuck with me as being insanely, insanely problematic is just how mean these commenters are, how vicious these internet bullies are, and how... Dave Portnoy is hyper aware of that and does nothing to stop it. Here's a really good example that actually has nothing to do with female employees. Forget all of the women that have left that company. Forget Ellie Schnitt. Forget Alexandra Cooper, Sophia Franklin, who was the Jenna Marbles, the original woman who worked at Barstool. Forget all of these people who walked away from Barstool being like that experience fucked up my, my female life. 
Let's look at the Soul Cycle incident. If you guys remember a couple of years ago, Dave was dating this young, skinny, blonde woman, and she cheated on him with a Soul Cycle instructor. I talk about this and have my anonymous commenters talk about this in my episode that I did about Soul Cycle at the very end of my Health as Hell run. Dave sent hordes of stoolies to basically descend upon the Soul Cycle studio where this man was working and where Jordan, the girl, was taking the instructor's classes. Something about that really has parallels with Trump telling all of his followers to go and storm the Capitol. Obviously, storming a soul cycle in New York City does not have the same repercussions as storming the government capital of the United States. But that dynamic, that Jesus dynamic of ascending to a place where you have all of these people, mostly men, blindly worshiping you and are ready to exert and whatever kind of manly macho energy that is needed to prove that they should be loved by you and valued by you do you see what i'm saying here like it i feel worse for the men who are involved in the barstool universe than i do for the women who are involved because at least the women can say It's a misogynistic culture and we don't belong here. Whereas the men are fed all of these different ideas of what it means to be a man. And as a man, what you have to do to win the approval of other ones. And I just can't understand how in this day and age, thousands and thousands and thousands of stoolies don't have a guilty conscience about the way that they treat barstool staff members and each other and people that they don't know. But I also don't understand how Dave Portnoy cannot have a guilty conscience about how many people, not necessarily that he hurts, because Dave Portnoy never hurt me directly, even with that brutal firing, but how many people he allows to get hurt. How many people he watches over as they get hurt? Because here's the coldest, hardest truth out of anything I've said in the past hour. The internet is no longer an alternate reality. The internet is the reality. And a lot of what goes down on the internet does translate into real life, such as what happened when the Stoolies stormed that Soul Cycle studio, and worse, how many people we have seen kill themselves as a result of the things that people say to them on the internet, as a result of the trolling that they get on the internet. And this reminds me of something Dave Chappelle was saying in his latest Netflix special about how he had a transgender woman who was his opener for a couple of his shows and who ultimately became a friend of his. And at this point, I think everybody knows that Dave Chappelle has been seen as wildly transphobic and has caused a lot of issues within that community. I'm not going to comment on that. That's for another episode. But this transgender woman who not only worked with Dave Chappelle, but got to know him personally 
when it felt like the entirety of Twitter was coming after Dave Chappelle trying to cancel him, she stood up for him and said, Dave Chappelle is not transphobic. He is an entertainer and a commenter and a master of his craft. And yes, she knew that it was a risk going against the echo chamber of other transgender people. She knew it was a risk going against the grain. But nobody could have prepared her for how badly it hurts when swarms of people come after you, people that you thought would at least be able to understand that although we may have differences of opinion, we're all humans and we're all just trying to get by. Nothing prepares you for the lack of humanity that you experience, the lack of empathy, the lack of kindness, when droves of people come at you and insult you from every angle and ultimately that transgender woman killed herself. And she killed herself as a result of people who were supposed to be her allies, her people, her community, simply because she expressed an opinion that was different from what they thought. As I said in the beginning, I do not have regrets about my time trying to work for Barstool. It taught me a lot about what I don't want. It taught me a lot about how to handle myself in the face of internet bullying, and it gave me a much thicker skin than I otherwise would have had. It also showed me that once I can move past how badly it hurts when the internet comes after you, I actually enjoy going against the grain. I enjoy taking the risky route and giving people things that they didn't expect, hence why we're here with Tales of Taboo. I've said it already, but I will say it again. I sincerely apologize to any person listening to this who identifies as a member excuse me, as a member of the LGBTQ community who saw that video clip of me either when it first came out or when it's resurfaced on multiple occasions on the internet and felt betrayed, felt like they thought they knew me and actually didn't, felt that I was willing to only align with them when it was convenient for me or felt that I was willing to sacrifice the relationship that we had in order to save myself. None of that is true. In very simple terms, I said what I said because I was scared and because I felt as though I was going to get hurt and I made an impulse decision in the moment that I deeply regret. I don't regret any of it except for that. Mazel tov to me for not shitting my pants over the past hour recording this episode. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm 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 exhausted guys. I'm a dried sponge. I have nothing else to say. Leave a rating and a review and tell your friends about this, but you know, if you think that there is anybody who should hear this, um please feel free to forward them this episode. My line is always open. You can email me at aliweissworld at gmail.com. And uh if you are somebody who has had an experience with Dave Portnoy, please reach out to me and let's talk about it. Um, I'm here and I just wish everybody listening to this well and if you are going through something that is embarrassing 
or makes you question your values or has been uh, detrimental to your character or you just feel lost and confused and like you have no purpose in life, I promise it will all figure itself out. I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing you all next week. And until then, 